Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Well, again, we want to say we're in a series called Mysteries Revealed, an in-depth study on the book of Ephesians. So what we're doing is week by week throughout the summer on Wednesday nights, we are going through each chapter of this book. We're finishing it tonight. I just want to say something. I love Wednesday nights because church is so fun. I love that God's a fun God, and I feel like I always have to say that because so many people think of God as just somebody who's boring or who wants to put you under a bunch of rules, but when you come to church on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, you get to enjoy the presence of God. So let's have fun together tonight. Is that okay with you? All right, cool. Well, I want to give you a little bit of the background of Ephesians to remind you, for those of you who haven't been here for the whole series, Pastor King covered this really well on the first day, so I want to skim over it really quick just to remind us, and I would encourage you, go back and listen to those messages online. So in studying the Bible, there's certain things that kind of help us get a greater perspective on what the Lord was trying to tell us. And one of those things is sometimes we have to take off our 21st century glasses and we have to put on the glasses of the people of that day. See what they saw, feel what they felt. So one of the things that I like to do sometimes, if it's a short book, you can just sit down and read the whole thing at one time if it's a, if it's a short one. If it's a long one, I wouldn't recommend it because you might be there all day. But I want to say this because this is going to be really important for what we're doing. It's important to remember that chapter markers and verses were added after the fact, after the writers wrote. And they were added just like if you were to read a law, you would see that there's markers to show which section of the law it is. Really what they were was just a reference to help you and I be able to remember where something was in the Bible. Sometimes we forget about that And so we will kind of tend to think, okay, this divides sections, but that's not always the case. So it's important to read before and after what you're actually reading that day. Just skim it and get a little picture of what's really going on in the situation. So a little bit about the church of Ephesus. Again, Pastor Ken taught this. Ephesians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. Now this was not too long after Jesus had gone back to heaven, as in the first century AD. And so it was located, Ephesus, in what is modern day Turkey. It was a city in the Roman Empire. Paul had a long history with that church. He had lived there for a couple of years, knew the leaders very well. Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. If you see the books, 1 and 2 Timothy, Paul had written those to the pastor there. He was in prison at the time that he wrote this letter because of his stand for Jesus Christ. Also, Jesus addresses the church at Ephesus in his letter to the seven churches in Revelation, the prophecy that John gave us later on. What's really interesting about that is that when Jesus addresses them, he talks to them about two things. He says, you did a great job of protecting against false teachers, but you lost your first love. When you read in the book of Ephesians, what you'll see is that Paul warns them against false teachers in chapter five, verse six. And he talks a lot to them about love, specifically in chapter three, verses 14 through 19. So that's where he talks about my prayer is that you'd be rooted and grounded in God's love, that you would know how wide and how deep and how vast his love for you is. So Paul was kind of helping them out and trying to warn them and trying to steer them in the right direction. And they didn't quite grasp all of the fullness of what he was trying to do. Again, Pastor Ken covered this. There's three sections of Ephesians, and you'll see this in your notes. 
The believer's position is, oh, there's two sections of Ephesians, I'm sorry. The believer's position is chapters one through three. It describes who we are in Christ, what our inheritance is as sons and daughters of the living God. It's where we find out that in the spiritual sense, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that we have a right to the inheritance as sons and daughters. We find out that they were marked and were sealed by the Holy Spirit. The believer's practice is the second portion. It covers chapters four through six. And I like to think of it like this. The book teaches us that our position in Christ should affect the posture of our hearts. So if you have this blessing of being seated in heavenly places with Christ, partaking in the inheritance that he's given you, then your heart's desire should be to practice these things that Paul prescribes in chapters four through six. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back really quick and we're going to actually read this passage of scripture. Now the passage that we're taking on today is uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. Let's read it together really quick. So it says this, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. And all the parents said, Amen. amen, clean your room. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you and you'll have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we're slaves or free. Now, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. So the purpose of this passage is really interesting. Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, remember we talked about chapters. Ephesians 6, 1 through 9 is part of a larger passage that's divided by a chapter. And it really starts in about Ephesians 5, 21 or 5, 22. And Pastor Don covered this the other day when he talked about godly marriages and the godly order of marriages. So this passage is all about how to run a household in a godly manner. You can break it into three parts. Number one, it's the relationships between wives and husbands. That's your first blanks, wives and husbands. Number two, it's relationships between children and parents. And number three, it's relationships between slaves and masters. So Paul's always going to give instructions to both parties involved. He always, if you follow his pattern, is going to give instructions to the follower first and then to the leader. So you'll find in section three it says important notes. If you read really carefully, what you'll notice is that Paul is going to talk about these parts of the family, but each part of the family has a corresponding part in the family of God or the body of Christ. You can see how it breaks down. So what that would be is that the church, this is not in your notes, you can write it down if you'd like, but the church is the bride of Christ, which is explained in the passage that Pastor Don talked about last week. And then God is the father and we along with Christ are his sons and daughters. First John 5, 1 talks about that. 
And then Paul, in Ephesians 6, 6, tells us that we are slaves or servants of Christ. And Jesus is referred to as the servant in Isaiah. And God is also referred to in Ephesians 6, verse 9, as our master. So we see that this parallels how the family of God works and what it looks like. So each topic, family, each family topic, wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters, centers on the concepts of submission and honor, and it encourages our family to revolve around the lordship of Jesus Christ. You'll notice in this passage from 521 all the way to 6, uh, what is it again? 6, 9, you'll notice that he says Christ, I think it is, six times. He's repeating himself a whole lot talking about Jesus. So th this is what's really cool to me. If you look at the next blank, you'll see the order in which Paul addresses the topic shows us the proper order of priorities in a Christian household. Number one, you have relationships between husbands and wives. The spousal relationship is of first priority and importance. Number two, you have the relationship between parents and kids. That's your, your secondary issue that you have to worry about. And then number three, you have work-related obligations and relationships. This doesn't function if any of these are out of order. And Paul, if we dig a little deeper, we realize Paul really gives us a pattern. And he helps us see the order of importance in the way that he does this. So we're going to dive in really quick to children and parents. We're going to break this down kind of verse by verse and, and go with what we can. So bear with me. Now, here's what I want to say to you today. Some of you know me. Some of you don't know me. And, and I'm not a parent. I don't have any experience parenting kids. I hope it's a while before I parent kids, right? And so, but here's what I want to say. I'm not going to give you my opinion on parenting. I'm going to give you what God says about parenting. We're going to talk about what he says and what his prescription is for it. And then you can decide based on what that looks like for you. So number one, children and parents, it starts with how should children treat their parents. That's your blank. Treat their parents. Ephesians 6, 1 in the Amplified says it this way. Children, obey your parents in the Lord as his representatives, for this is just and right. Every parent in the room loves this scripture, right? When I was a kid, there was a song, O-B-E-Y, obey your mom and dad, and it stuck the power of music. So what it says right here is that the Greek word for obey is a compound word that means to hear under. So it suggests that your heart has a posture of submission and attentiveness. So you got the word the, to hear, to listen. You're listening to me, but you're not hearing me, or however you say that, I don't know. And then you have the posture of submission. You're under the authority of that person. It's a compound word. The Amplified Bible says that we are to do it as God's representatives. So here's what I think is so cool, and here's what you can start using this on your kids, because I think this really worked for me in my life as a young person. When you believe that you're an ambassador or a representative of Christ, you sense an obligation to treat people the way he would like them to be treated, not the way your flesh would like them to be treated. So if I were an ambassador or a representative for the U.S. or for a corporation, whatever that may be, and I went into a negotiation and I said, listen, don't make this really public. Uh, this is what the boss and the, and the organization wants to do. I think it's kind of silly. We're going to do things my way. I would get fired pretty quick because my job is not to talk about my agenda. My job is to talk about the agenda and the will of the organization. 
So when Paul says to us that we are representatives of Christ, he says, your obedience isn't based on what you feel about it. If you feel that it's something that you'd like to do or not, your obedience is based upon the will of God telling you that obedience is what's best. That's a really important distinction to make. And I think it's a really important distinction to make with our kids. Because we tell them that when you honor me, you're honoring God, not just doing what I say. What happens when you do that, if I could just have a side note here, you'll see everything in this passage is wrapped around Christ. So what happens when you teach your kids in that way is you're going to say, I need you to obey me because you're Christ's representative and he's called you to do this. You're going to teach them that obedience isn't just about cleaning their room. It's about a worship unto the Lord. And you're going to set them up to see their whole lives in that perspective. So then it goes on and says, how should children view their parents? Ephesians 6, 2, and 3 says, honor, esteem, and value as precious your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that all may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now note that Paul says that children are to esteem their parents and value them as precious. The way I treat someone tells me what I believe about their worth as well as mine. It's a double, it's a two-way thing. The way I treat you says I value you or I don't value you. But what that really communicates is you either value yourself or you don't. If you love people the way that Christ loves people, then you love them as you love yourself. So it talks to value there. Right here, Paul shows us that our acts of obedience should flow from an attitude of honor. So what he is really dealing with is what Jesus dealt with when he said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or what the scripture says in the Old Testament where it says, guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. What you're teaching your kids here is not you obey me because I say. You're saying if you have an attitude that's in line with the Lord's attitude that says that I value and honor my parents as I honor myself, then you're going to honor me the way that God's come commanded you to honor me. Now, really quick, the dynamic of acting this out changes as we get old, does it not? You don't have to necessarily obey every little thing that comes. But here's what doesn't change, the principle of honor. The principle of honor never changes. The older you get, it still stays the same. It's okay to disagree with your parents, but you have to do so from a place of reverence and respect and honor for them and their position of authority in your lives. You know what I think about is a lot of people would say, well, what if my parents don't seem worthy of honor? What if my parents have completely disrespected and dishonored me, perhaps even for the course of your life? That's a valid question. And number one, I think the most important thing to say is I'm sorry that that's happened to you because you didn't deserve that and you didn't earn that and it wasn't your fault. But what you have to see is no matter how abusive or how rude or how neglectful anybody's been to you, It doesn't change their value in Christ. See, we're not called to to treat people based on the way they've treated us, but on the way that we'd want to be treated. The primary reason for honoring our parents is that it honors God. See, when it says we're to honor the Lord, uh, honor our parents and the Lord as his representatives, for this is just and right. If we actually look at that word, the word right in that verse can be interpreted to mean that it's not just the appropriate to do, appropriate thing to do, but it's the righteous thing to do. It's the holy thing to do. I would say it maybe that way. 
Honor doesn't mean we totally agree with people. It simply means that we treat them as valuable. I'd like to make a point here. And it's something that the Lord's been showing me lately is to show people the same grace that God's given me. And it's not a very fun point to learn if you want me to be honest with you. But here's the thing. When we treat our parents with honor, here's what we're saying. If God valued your parents enough to send his son Jesus to die for them, the Bible says while we were still in our sins, then you and I can make the choice to honor them no matter what they're doing. If Jesus would honor people who were just living like the devil unto the point of death and taking the blame for them, then you and I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can make the choice to honor them no matter what they've done. So let's move on to parents and children. Here's where it gets fun for parents, right? How should parents treat their children? So he gives instructions, okay, what about kids? Okay, now what about parents? Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This is the good, I love this part. This part's so fun for me. The Greek word for provoke means to rouse, to wrath, or to exasperate. Have you ever felt that way? Like somebody expected so much of you that it was impossible and you just felt exasperated with what they were expecting? Anybody been there? Here's my question for you, and this is a really good analogy, I think, I hope. If you don't like it, then throw something at me. Um, So, (laughs) I just totally threw myself off of that one, sorry. So, if you were at work and your boss decided to teach you a lesson or to show you something by making you angry and exasperating you, by giving you unrealistic expectations and trying to teach you a lesson by making you angry, on a scale of one to 10, how well would that work? So Paul is saying the exact same thing here. He's saying, listen, it's not gonna work for you just to try to frustrate your kids with an expectation of perfection. It's never gonna happen. And by the way, God in the Garden of Eden had two perfect people and they still messed it up. So everybody is gonna find a way to mess it up eventually. So if you look right here, it says, Paul is showing this that being a taskmaster is an ineffective way of parenting children. You'll see your blanks here. It says, don't risk long-term resentment for short-term results. In other words, on those days when your kids are driving you nuts, I saw an awesome meme on the internet one time of the life of a mom, and it was the bathroom door was shut, and there was a hand under the door, like still trying to get to mom, because you never get away, you know what I'm saying? Is that true, moms? All right, just making sure. Yeah, so, if you're sacrificing or don't, don't sacrifice or risk long-term resentment for short-term results. Don't get so frustrated that you just set these expectations and do these things to frustrate your kids because they may end up resenting that in the future. Here's what I love. It says, parents who exasperate their kids rely on behavior modification instead of heart transformation. Behavior modification instead of heart transformation. This is the difference between, honestly, the way that Jesus did things when he fulfilled the law and the way that the Pharisees did things when they tried to subject people to laws. 
Because what he was doing in that moment was he was saying, you're trying to modify people's behavior. And the Pharisees were setting extra high standards. So they would take God's standards and they would take them just a little bit further and try to make it to where people could never attain it and just frustrate and exasperate them and make them feel like they were never good enough. And so what Jesus did is he said, you can't do it on your own. You need me to renew and regenerate and recreate your spirit. So he changes the heart The Bible says it's God who works in you both to will and to do. In other words, to give you the willpower and the power to do what he's called you to do. So what we're saying here is you can't just beat it into your kids to change. You can't set such high expectations and expect that. You've got to deal with the heart issue. Otherwise, you're only breeding either an expectation of perfection and insecurity because I'm never good enough or you're, you're breeding maybe even resentment in that situation. So here's what I'd like to point out. When you, uh, th- there's a Greek word there that means bring, when you see that. That phrase means, uh, basically it suggests that you're nourishing them or nurturing them up into maturity. When you grow a garden, you go out there, actually I did this, I have a perfect example of this. I was gonna grow a garden one year and I planted all the seeds and never watered them. It's probably the best idea I ever had. If I'd have done it this year, I'd have actually gotten a harvest because it rained for, I think, three months this year total. But that year, I just decided never to water them. I don't know really what happened, but nothing grew. I didn't receive any fruit. So the daily process and the daily grind of having to nourish this up to maturity, and it's annoying sometimes. You have to fight the birds that try to get in and the deer if you live in South Texas, and you have to water it all the time and weed it and all these kinds of things, and it's a process, but you'll never get the fruit of godly kids if you're not committed to the daily process. And you'll see that blanket says, you can only reap the desired fruit of godly kids if you're committed to the daily process of carefully guiding and guarding their growth. I wanna hit this really quick and I'm gonna have to move pretty, pretty quickly through this. This is really important to me. The word for discipline refers to the whole training and education of ch- children. Many parents are concerned with their kids' academic education and physical training, and rightly so, but we must remember to place an even greater emphasis on their spiritual education and training. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Everybody say much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. In Acts 1.13, we see that Peter and John are in front of the Jewish high council, these leaders. And the Jewish high council basically says, you know, we can tell they're, they're amazed and they're marveling. They say, we can tell these guys aren't educated whatsoever, but we can see that they've been with Jesus. So what we see here is that we're learning there's an importance to education. Some scholars say that Paul was probably one of the top two or three most educated people in the world at his time. And there's a, there's a value to physical training, but if you don't combine it with the spiritual element, it's never going to be enough. And here's what I'd like to say, and allow me to say this if that's okay. I started leading worship at 14 years old because my parents and the people around me had a value on the things of the Lord. We didn't slack in school. You know, at, at the time I was still playing sports for a while. That was always a choice for me. But we, did, we all did a great job in school, all my friends who were serving the Lord and serving in the local church. We were serving in a youth group weekly, uh, doing our very best and just trying to be a blessing, but then also doing all of our academic stuff. 
And because of that, I don't think that I would be where I am right now and today if it wouldn't have been for parents who valued the spiritual side of training. And I'm going to say this, and I hope this is okay with you, but what if a kid gets a scholarship, but they don't have the foundation spiritually to sustain them through college, whether it's an academic or an or a, um, athletic scholarship? or through their career, or whatever that may be. So you have to lay the appropriate foundation or else the house is never gonna be right. So you've gotta value the local church. You've gotta be here every chance you get, and you've gotta teach your kids to serve. And can I tell you something? The way I learned it, and I guarantee you the way your kids are gonna learn it, has nothing to do with what you say and everything to do with what they see you doing. It's an important thing. It's a burden on my heart because I see it growing more and more that kids will tell us, we'll hear kids say this, I don't have time to be a part of a worship team. And it breaks my heart because that's their gift and, and, it's, and it's gone. The word instruction can mean admonition or exhortation, and it can carry the connotation of a mild rebuke. I'm gonna go quick through this. In other words, you need to correct your kids. Every parent in the room is about to say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, right? You need to do it. You need to do it, but you need to do it with a gentle heart. That doesn't mean it's not firm. God is pretty firm, but God comes from a place of love. So here's what I want to show you real quick. We're going to go fast. When you discipline your kids, understand that the purpose of discipline is to keep them moving toward the Lord's plan for their lives. That's a blank right there, plan. Not to shame them for their wrongdoing. Godly discipline propels people to their potential instead of reminding them of their problems. That means we never use words like you always, right? But we say, you know what? Let me explain something to you, son. In order to help you get to where I know God wants you to go, you're gonna have to change this in your life. And if I have to be firm about it, I'm gonna hate it, but I'm gonna do it. And it becomes increasingly important from working in youth ministry as your kids become teenagers because they're going to now question why you're doing it. And I hope that our answer is sufficient for them. And I believe that telling them that the plan of God for their lives is the reason you're disciplining them, that's an important answer. But we can't abuse that, right? <laughs> I just could see some ways. So um, let me address something really quick. I want to Say this, we're going to dive in really quick to slaves and masters and that relationship. Slavery in the Roman Empire was a bit different than the way that we think of it today. It was not primarily a racist institution. The way that it worked was they would go conquer some nation, some land, and they would take all the people back. This is the worst type of loss, right? They would take you back and then you would be slaves. Also, if you were just out of money and had no options, you could sell your kids into slavery. So when Paul's talking to a slave about, you see in this letter about parenting, that's exceptional because he's teaching them, do not walk in that way. So that's kind of how it worked. Also, you had the chance of freedom. It was still um, based at the will and the leisure of your master. And I want to say this really quick. Paul encourages slaves in 1 Corinthians 7, if you get the chance, take your freedom, go for it. People sometimes will question, well, why didn't Paul just come out and say flat out slavery is wrong? But one thing that I think is a great suggestion of that is this. Paul preached ideals to masters and to slaves that if you were to really carry them through, you couldn't in your conscience be able to um, defend slavery. So what Paul was really smart in doing is he infiltrated people. 
He didn't have to come out and just say, don't do this. He's sitting in a prison cell in the Roman Empire, which is built on slavery. So what he did is he said really cleverly, everybody is equal. And when he did that, he leveled the playing field. So now we'll start turning in slave masters' minds. Is it right for me? This is all my opinion right here, but is it right for me then to be able to own these slaves? It's a really smart method if you think of it in that way. So really quick, slaves and masters. It says, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you'd obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward you, each one of you, for whatever good they do, whether they're slave or free. It's worth noting that Paul specifically says earthly masters, masters according to the flesh. They don't own your spirit. They don't own your soul. All they're doing is using your earth suit for now. Again, that's a slick way to start explaining that concept to people. The phrase with respect and fear can be used to mean doing your best, even though you're aware you won't be perfect. It can also be translated as enthusiasm. Paul teaches us that we should work for a heavenly reward instead of just a paycheck. So when we do this, we go from thinking another day, another dollar, and we begin to see work as an opportunity to worship Jesus. It's our everyday life that is a worship. Paul reminded slaves that God doesn't see them as any different than their masters. We move on to masters and slaves. And he explains, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. He says, honor them the same way that they honor you. Paul makes it clear that threatening and abusive language are off limits for a child of God. If you have any position of leadership or influence in your world today, that goes for you. No matter what you do, no matter what happens, we as children of God, we're representatives at this point. We can't say what we want. We have to say what God says. The word favorites refers to someone preferring a person based on their socioeconomic status instead of their inward character. We see that in 1 Samuel 16, 7, talking about when they're finding David, the king. And God says, don't look at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance. I look at the inward appearance. I look at the heart. Paul levels the playing field with his statements, and he makes it known that all people are of equal value to God. Again, when you begin to follow this theology, there's no way that you're going to be able to reconcile still owning somebody else. Final thoughts on this. In the spiritual family of God, we find a model of God's intended plan for earthly families. The model Paul presents for a godly family is marked by submission and honor. And it completely revolves around the lordship of Jesus Christ. Count how many times he says, Jesus, Savior, God, Lord. Family as God intended it is a beautiful picture of God's relationship with his church, but it's impossible to achieve such a monumental task on your own. And the key to achieving this kind of a task is found way back in Ephesians 5.17, right before we start this passage. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for this day. We worship you and we honor you. There is no name higher than the name of Jesus. We exalt you and we thank you that we get to learn from your word. God, what an incredible opportunity to learn from an ancient text passed down for thousands of years and thousands of generations. And God, it's preserved for us because you cared about us so much that you wanted to teach us how to live a victorious, successful life as families. We thank you for your knowledge that you've given us today and for the word. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.